you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Now, the list of things that you can buy at the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com. Things to wear like Chicago Reader hats, t-shirts, bandanas, and face masks. Things for your daily life like the Chicago Reader camping mug, Chicago Reader tote bags, and a Chicago Reader reporter's notebook. Things for you to read like our Reader recipes, the Chicago Reader 420 Companion, our Chicago Reader Best of book series from journalists Maya Dukmasova, Mike Sula, Ben Jarofsky, and Lior Galil, the Chicago Reader coloring book, and the Chicago Reader stay home puzzle. Find the Chicago Reader store at chicagoreader.com and show your support for the nation's first free weekly news paper since 1971. Bonus time on the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it is Friday, July 29th, 2022, and I'm going to go do something a little differently. I'm going to read a headline that's uh, on my cell phone because this is breaking news. Well, it's really not breaking news. This news broke a couple days ago, but uh, the New Yorker, this is in the New Yorker. They just sent emails out to their uh, readers, which this will be relevant to the topic I'm about to have, the conversation I'm about to have with my distinguished guest. Here is the headline. Joe Manchin's latest reversal could be a game changer. Subhead, finally some positive news for President Biden and the Democrats, despite the new GDP report. And I just think it's funny that they always try to stick a little negative. Good news, except for this. <laughs> oh, my beloved mainstream media. Good news, but wait, hold it. There could be some bad news. So please click, because <laughs> I know that's what really motivates you, libs. All right, without further, this guy's, he really wants to j- jump out on this one. Uh, without further ado, I'll ask my distinguished guest to introduce himself, and away we go. Take it away, distinguished guest. Thanks, Ben. It's great to be back. I'm David Ferris. I'm an associate professor of political science at Roosevelt University, uh, contributing writer at The Week and at Newsweek, and the author of It's Time to Fight Dirty, How Democrats Can Build a Lasting Majority in Joe Manchin's Office. Sorry, in uh, in American politics. That's, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you're, you're, the, the opening there, it's like, it's like if, like, on, you know, Victory in Europe Day, they were like, and the stock market went down 20 points today. Womp, womp, womp. I was like, can you just, no, give, just give him like one day of good press coverage? Can we do that? No, no, no. That's not that. That the libs, because the libs, the liberals realize that you know they're always well. It could be it's good news, but I want to just cover myself just because case what you think someone t- a year from now is going to come back and say, oh my god, you got it wrong, New Yorker. Right. No. Just give him some good news. All right, I, I'm really uh, uh, torn here because on one hand, I really want to talk to you about the forward party, which yeah. uh, has just emerged. And I know you're going to have some great riffs on that, as will I. 
Uh, but you and I have been discussing Joe Manchin. He's the subject of your nightmares as, as longtime David Ferris listeners, and there's a lot of you out there can uh, will remember in a roughly October of 2020, uh, David Ferris revealed that he was having nightmares about Joe Manchin. <laughs> the, the Senate coming down <laughs> Joe Manchin. Uh, that was before he knew about Kirsten Cinema. So the nightmare is like dull. And by the way, this is interesting. Only Joe Manchin to sign on a deal. I have no idea where Kirsten Cinema is on this. So we'll start with uh, Manchin uh, before we get to the forward party, which, oh my God, Andrew Yang and the forward party. All right. Uh, so in your humble opinion, David, this is uh, good news uh, for the world. Go. Yeah, of course. I mean, any any significant bill that can make it through the U.S. Congress and get signed by the president that would do anything at all to reduce U.S. climate emissions, to begin the transition of getting the United States off its addiction to fossil fuels um, is, a, is a huge win for humanity, for the environment. It's a big win for the Democrats, for President Biden, who has a precious little good news to, to speak of for the last year or so, because this guy, same guy that just delivered him this win out of nowhere has been, a, has been the, the single most important roadblock to getting any part of the Democratic agenda enacted. Um, and so there's, you know, there's no, there's no two ways around it. If this, if this actually goes through and it's not guaranteed um, that it's actually, I'm, I don't, I, again, I don't believe anything until, until, pre until the president <laughs> signs the bill. I'm like, anything could happen. You know, like Pearson <laughs> cinema could intercept the bill on the way from the Senate, and <laughs> light it on fire or something like I changed my mind. Um, but, uh, but for sure. Yeah. I mean, this bill contains significant investments, um, in, uh, in green technologies It includes incentives for consumers to, to switch over to electric vehicles, some cool stuff about electrifying your house. I assume to, to get people away from, uh, from, from fossil fuels and their, you know, their cooking and all that stuff. Um, there's, there's this whole movement to get everyone to, to get rid of their gas stoves and, and switch to electric. And I mean, hey, man, if somebody's gonna pay me to do it, sure. That's fine. <laughs> Uh, but like most people, I was like, I can't just like wake up tomorrow and be like, you know, it'd be fun. Let's spend five grand like rewiring the house, you know, for, for the environment. Um, that's not going to happen. You have to pay people to do it. You have to give them tax incentives. And that's exactly what this bill does. Um, it gives companies a lot of incentives to build, um, you know, solar installations and pursue new technologies. Um, you know, they had to do some things for Manchin, like promise him that they, he'd get to burn some uh, some fossil fuel. Like you get, you get to light some stuff on fire, Joe. Don't worry. Um, you know, you get to light some natural gas on fire, build some new stuff for you, just for you, the West Virginia Purchase. Um, but apparently there's been kind of secret negotiations between Manchin and, and Schumer for weeks that none of us were even aware of uh, until the, the news broke suddenly a couple of days ago. Um, so that's great. It's great that he's on board. Apparently our old friend Larry Summers was the critical voice in persuading Manchin that this bill would not be inflationary because I, I guess that's the only thing that Joe Manchin cares about. Um, is inflation not that it's unimportant, but it's like I don't understand how 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 letting people put solar panels on their houses is going is going to cause inflation and the price of cars. Um, so yeah, it's it's overall it's a great it's a great thing. Um, like anything that comes out of Congress, I wish it went further and faster and didn't have any means testing anything like that. But that's just you know that's not the world we live in. Um, and there's really, in my mind, not, not any real downsides to passing a significant bill on the, on the eve of the election um, that would fire up. That uh, fire up is probably going too far here. Okay, but would, would energize a little bit the, the progressive activists who've been particularly dissatisfied with, uh, with the way things have gone the last couple of years. 
Well, uh, take a little deeper dive on uh, the inner workings of Joe Manchin's mind. Uh, you, you mentioned Larry Summers convincing him. Larry Summers, uh, former high-ranking budget official for Obama. The, I think he was the president of Harvard. He's an economist. He's a grumpy old guy mm-hmm. uh, and uh, who's proud of being a grumpy old guy. Uh, so I guess that's what the, he's like a horse whisperer to other grumpy old guys. So that would make him a grumpy old guy whisperer. Uh, and uh, he whispered into Joe Manchin's ear, and Joe Manchin melted. Uh, other than uh, Larry Summers whispering in his ear and then changing the name of the bill to input inflation fighter or something <laughs> ridiculous, and there was it's like straight out of the Chicago playbook. If you just change the name, you can get voters to buy anything. Uh, what changed? Like, why all of a sudden did Joe Manchin wake up and embrace the very issues that he was rejecting uh, just a few weeks ago? It's a great question. I mean, I don't know that we'll ever really know that until Joe Manchin publishes his memoirs. Um, you know, uh, fire away, my career in politics, you know. Uh, and <laughs> ghost written by Kirsten Cinema, maybe. Um, I, don't, I don't know. It's um, The big question with Manchin has always been, whether he would be more content to do nothing um, or would he, would he be happy meeting the party leadership halfway, um, getting some of what he wants, which is ongoing giveaways to fossil fuel companies um, and, and get a little bit of what uh, the Democratic Party leadership wants, which is investments in green technologies and just sort of let that sort, them, sort itself out. Um, I think in, in Manchin's mind, uh, the, the original... Uh, Relief Act that, you know, the COVID Relief Act that was one of the first things Democrats did in office in March 2021. That was a party line bill. That was a reconciliation bill. And my guess is his arm had to be twisted extremely, extremely hard um, to get him to sign on to that without really even making that many significant changes to it. And so I'm sure in Manchin's mind, the narrative goes like, uh, you know, Chuck talked me into this. Uh, I always thought it was kind of a bad idea to inject this much money in the economy. And look what happened. You know, we've got this runaway inflation. Um, now we've got negative uh, negative economic growth for two consecutive quarters, blah, blah, blah. You know, I think in his mind, as wrong as I think he is about this, I think he blames all of the money that Congress invested in the economy and the American people during the worst of the COVID crisis for, for today's inflation. I just think that's what he thinks. Um, and so he, someone convinced him um, that making these investments in, in climate change and diminishing the effects of climate change is not going to be inflationary after all. That, in fact, the, the economic costs of waiting another 10 or 15 years to make some of these moves would not only put the U.S. You know, another thousand yards behind China um, in, the, in the race to be the, you know, the, the major green technology center of the world, um, but it's not going to help the economy either, right? I mean, like, no, no one wins when parts of the country that aren't accustomed to 100 degree weather are gripped by these like heat waves for for weeks at a time. Um, Wildfires don't benefit anyone. Uh, Floods don't benefit anyone. Rising oceans don't benefit anyone. Um, Even West Virginia has a coastline, right? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. No, it doesn't have a coastline. No. Uh, (laughs) Well, I mean, but it's near Kentucky, which is having flash floods. So I mean, maybe West Virginia will have a a coastline in 100 years if if, if Gomez doesn't act. Right. So, um, Anyway, it, it's hard to know what he thought. I think the um, what, the last time that he pulled out the rug from everyone 
um, I guess that was last month. I've, I honestly, I've lost track of the number of headlines that are like, Manchin walks away from negotiations, be, be, Build Back Better's dead. Um, I think the last time he did that, I think the rest of the party was like, okay, fine, we're done with you, right? Like, we're not going to negotiate this with you anymore. Um, and when they did that, when they just kind of, you know, at least publicly, um, kind of put him in the penalty box and said like, okay, well, if we lose in November, this is on you. I don't, you know, what else we do? We've been negotiating with you for over a year about the parameters of build back better. You promised us that you would do this, um, when we agreed to put the infrastructure bill up for a vote. Um, and, and you, you stabbed us in the back this, that time looks like you're going to stab us in the back again. And I think people kind of gave up on him. And, and when, when they gave up on him, it may have dawned on him after a period of time that he had actually lost, that, that he'd lost his leverage. Right. You know, like, unless he's content to do nothing, uh, that is to, to lose Congress in November, having done almost nothing, um, other than, you know, that I, I always say there's nothing, right? Like there's a lot of good stuff in the infrastructure bill. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Um, including investments in public transit that'll benefit us here in Chicago. But, um, it obviously wasn't what people were hoping for, and it was a while ago. Right? I mean, you ride into the midterms with no significant legislation um, other than the um, the bill about guns from from last month, which was also, you know, but it's just like my mantra: not nearly far enough, but better than nothing. Um, so I, I think they kind of, I think they kind of dared him. They said, "Okay, you want nothing? Look, we'll do nothing. We'll just see how we all do in November with nothing to run on." Um, and at, at the end of the day, it seems like he decided um, that he had he had terms after all, right? Like there were things that he was willing to do. Um, now, of course, we're still not getting all of the investments in the social safety net that we were all hoping for. You know, paid family medical leave, uh, universal child care, um, you know, significant lowering of the Medicare age or universal health care. None of that stuff's happening largely because of him, although I don't know that that's exclusively because of him. But it seems like this was an area, he's like, I'm an energy guy, you want to do an energy bill? Sure, it sounds great, let's do an energy bill. Um, it seems like they got they got to him. You know, he, he said, I, well, okay, I've only got this leverage for another five months unless we pull out a miracle here, and um, I might as well get something done with it. And maybe his paymasters were like, okay, Joe, you can sign this bill if you want we won't repossess your yacht, but okay, that's fine. As long as you get some of the natural gas stuff in there, you're fine. That's a, it's a, I don't know. It came out of nowhere to totally blindsided me and um, in, a, in a good way. I mean, how often do we wake up on a, in the morning? You know, my wife said to me, guess what? <laughs> I was like, uh, what, did Biden die of COVID? Uh, what horrible thing happened? Another mass shooting? She's like, no. Manson's <laughs> going to get on board with one of these bills. I was like, get out of town. <laughs> You're having me on, you know, but uh, in a marriage, yes, you know, you get to know each other over a long period of time. And I, <laughs> seeing her well, I'm, sure you serious. <laughs> I'm sure you shared uh, your nightmares uh, with your wife as uh, you've shared them with our listeners. Uh, so she knows all about your nightmares. Uh, I wrote down something you said, and I'll probably shamelessly steal it. 50-50 whether I give you credit for it in the column or right. It's how I feel at moments. Um it's always 50-50 whether I give somebody credit. I understand. Uh, but I think you you hit it on the head here. Uh, he lost his leverage. And uh, the reality was he was big man on campus uh, so long as he was saying no. And I think he came to the realization that the Dems were walking away from him. They realized that they weren't going to have anything going into the November election, so they didn't need him. He was worthless. 
Uh, he was the last guy in the world you would want to have in a trench with you, and you're in the middle of a fight. Uh, so forget you, uh, uh, Joe, uh, Joe Manchin, as the kids back in Nichols would say back in the day when I went there. Uh, and so all of a sudden he goes, all right, now I have my leverage back. Now I'm an important player. Now I'm the man. I made it happen as opposed to not making it happen. Uh, so I think you're onto something. It's really twisted. I got to tell you this. <laughs> I, uh, I'm not a, I, like, I don't follow obsessively West Virginia politics, but I, I by chance read a story in the paper about the uh, treasurer from West Virginia. Uh, it was, I, I think it was in the New York Times, maybe Washington Post, can't remember where, uh, who has sent a letter to six major banks in America saying that West Virginia was not go, was going to withdraw all its funds, whatever state funds it had with those banks, uh, because they had signed on to initiatives. I'm not making this stuff up, David. They had signed on to initiatives that were pro-environment. They were like, they were showing a concern about the, <laughs> the destruction of the world as we know it. And how dare you do that? That's bad for West Virginia. It's like they don't realize that West Virginia is part of the world. You know, I, like, so uh, and I'm like, when I read the article, I was like, oh, look, this explains Joe Manchin. This is the worldview of West Virginia. It's a very parochial worldview. All that matters is that these coal mining industries stay strong. And then, boom, I read that article. The next day, I'm reading about Manchin going totally in the other direction. They're going to be giving subsidies to electric cars. I thought that was the deal breaker three weeks ago. Nothing about inflation. It was like, if you give subsidies to electric cars, you're moving away from just like gas. You know what I mean? And uh, they were against that. <laughs> so I guess they put a means test in there, which is hilarious. You know what I'm saying? Uh, a means test. In other words, you have to be below a certain level in income before you get the subsidy. Um, I don't know. I don't know what to make of it, David. I, uh, by the way, what's your thoughts about the, the treasurer of West Virginia sending that letter out? That's insane. I mean, it's, Republicans, I, you know, my favorite thing about the last two years is like Republicans have decided that corporations are their enemy um, rather than <laughs> the backbone of the of the Republican Party. And they are watching in, in horror as companies respond to public sentiment about climate change, about uh, LGBTQ issues, about abortion. Um, and the, these corporations, they're not stupid. Right? They know that Republicans are taking positions that are opposed by two-thirds of the public. That ultimately could be bad. There's, there's commercial space to be had by, um, by moving in the direction of uh, some of these positions that are shared by the American people. And they don't want to get left behind. I mean, they're not like doing it out of the goodness of their hearts, right? <laughs> they just don't want to get boycotted. Um, and, the, and the banks, you know, banks don't care. You know whether whether uh, at what point conception is defined. You know at what point we define human life. Um, but the but these Republicans, these, these sort of parochial Republicans in, in in the South, just cannot wrap their heads around the fact that um, the corporate world doesn't like what they're doing socially, um, and they also can't accept that the, that these companies. Would, remember, like ten years ago, um, Citizens United when they defined corporations as people. And the speech of corporations as, as as tantamount to to the speech of ordinary people, and, and the whole party was like, "Yep, corporations are people. Now you can't censor corporations. You, you can't tell them what to spend their money on in, in politics." Lo and behold, um, when the when the companies change their tune um, and start getting on board with some social projects that they don't like, 
Um, they have a completely different take on what the Constitution allows. Um, big, big shock, right? Uh, and so uh, it, it, nothing shocks me with state Republican politics anymore. I mean, these, these are people that are willing to harm their constituents and, and destroy their economies uh, for the sake of the culture war. I mean, Ron DeSantis in Florida has been, has been conducting a crusade against the state's largest employer for, for six months because he doesn't like their cartoon characters or whatever. Um, or that, you know, they can't, they can't stand the fact that Disney might produce a cartoon with like a gay character or something. And that's, they're grooming. That's grooming, I guess. Um, so it, it just, uh, it's mind boggling. But again, until, until, until it stops, until somebody loses an election, um, for, for doing some of these things, they're gonna keep doing it. You know, and unless somebody beats Ron DeSantis, what, what's the, what, what message could he possibly take from all this other than that, that he won. Right. So I, you know, I can't really blame them. Until they, until it has a real cause for them. Well, it would be interesting uh, if Joe Manchin runs for re-election. Uh, if the forces of MAGA in his state successfully use uh, this vote, this decision to join forces with Schumer and Biden, uh, and pass, I, I, I hesitate to call it "Build Back America" because I do believe they. One of his concessions is that they will change it to the Inflation Fighter Bill or something. I forget the. They name already have. They already have. This, uh, they're calling it the Inflation Reduction Act. Okay. <laughs> I'm serious. Well, that that answers the question. Do national Democrats think voters are more stupid than Chicago Democrats think voters? And I, I think right now the the Nationals are winning over Chicago. Although Chicago's bringing a NASCAR race to Chicago, let's not even discuss. Well, so I'm dead serious about the name of this bill. Also, think for a second about what the what the initials of that bill are. What's the acronym? Inflation Reduction Act. It's the IRA. Oh my God. <laughs> It's a it's an attempt to get the uh, Irish vote. Uh, all right, and uh, so so it'd be interesting to see if uh, Maggie can defeat him on that. If if I had to put money down in Vegas, if I was not a reformed gambler, I would always bet on Joe Manchin. Uh, and uh, I bet he's just as contemptuous of MAGA and their ability to defeat him as he is of the left. Uh, and so he, he just he made his decision. The, the treasurer. Of, uh, West Virginia's head can blow up. He doesn't care. Uh, there's there's one more aspect of this that's really just so fascinating to me, which is Manchin's obsession with bipartisanship. Um, and the, the reality is when he came, we came out with this deal to, to support a reconciliation party line vote on this climate bill, Republicans like spitefully walked away from a couple of other bills that they'd all been working on together. Um, one of which was a bill to codify gay marriage. Um, and the other was like a bill uh, to give benefits to military veterans who were uh, breathing in smoke pits in, in Iraq or something. I don't know, man, burn pits. Um, anyway, John Stewart's really angry about this. Oh, Agent Orange bill, too. Oh, I'm yeah. all over that one. But go ahead. So, Finish your um, thought. so it's just it's so interesting to me the way like you just want to get him in a, in, in, into a room. You'd be like, dude, what actually matters to you? You know, is it the policy wins? Is it? getting Republicans to come along with you because you just got a policy win, but maybe at the expense of getting Republican votes for these other two things that, you, you know, the, the whole, your whole theory of politics is like, I'm, I'm so great at this that I can get my Republican colleagues to come along with me. And not only does he blow up these other two bipartisan things, he's not going to bother trying to get Republicans to vote for the climate bill. Right. Um, and so it's always, it's just so interesting to me that he's so dedicated to the filibuster. He's willing to set it aside once a year 
to do to you know to arm wrestle with his party about what to put in there. I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense, does it? Like the like Joe Manchin's theory of politics just doesn't add up to me. No. Okay. Well, let's that that is a nice dovetail to uh, move into a segue. Excuse me uh, to move into the forward party, uh, and which is this uh, proposed third party? It'll probably never come to pass, but an uh, uh, attempt to look relevant. Uh, Andrew Yang, who was running for the Democratic nomination uh, for president in 2019, and I believe he also ran for mayor of New York. Uh, in 2020, got clobbered in that election. Uh, trying to look relevant, has teamed up with the former uh, governor of New Jersey, Christine Whitman, uh, to suggest that uh, there has to be a third party in America because the Democrats and the Republicans uh, are too extreme. And I find the forward party almost as offensive as I find MAGA, and I'll explain why, uh, David. Uh, this is what I would call a false equivalency on steroids. Again, I say it every time you're on the show, I say it every day on this show, I take very seriously the fact that we're facing a fascist threat in this country to destroy democracy. Uh, to Donald Trump tried to steal the last election. Uh, he failed to do so then, but his forces are at work at state after state, changing election laws, putting in flat. Uh, lackeys in position of power and authority so that they can get away with, if necessary, what Donald Trump could not get away with last time around. Uh, and I take that threat very seriously. I, I would think that most uh, old-line Republicans would take it seriously as well. Instead, uh, Yang and uh, Whitman have signed on to this notion that the left, which is the Democrats, is as extreme as the right and I will now read to you a passage from what their manifesto, if you could call it a manifesto, their little essay they wrote in the Washington Post. Uh, and uh, so here, uh, so they're talking, giving, this is their concrete examples, uh, David, of how the left and the right have both uh, fallen under control of extremists. All right. So here we go. <clears throat> On guns, for instance, most Americans don't agree with calls from the far left to confiscate all guns and repeal the Second Amendment. But they also rightfully worried by the far right's insistence on eliminating gun laws. Well, I would stop right here and go, I cannot think of one elected official in America of the Democratic persuasion. Uh, there may be one in some small town somewhere that I'm unaware of, but that would be, consist of a minor official. I cannot think of one congressperson. I cannot think of one senator. I cannot think of one governor who is urging for the confiscation of all guns. But I know lots of Republicans who want to eliminate all gun laws. So that's what I would call a, a false equivalency. On climate change, this is back to them, most Americans don't agree with calls from the far left to completely upend our economy and way of life. But they also reject the far right's denial that there's even a problem. On abortion, most Americans don't agree with the far right's, far left's extreme views on late-term abortions, but they are also alarmed by the far right's quest to make women's choice a criminal offense, end of quote. I don't know any Democratic official of the leftists uh, on the far left who I don't even know what he's ta talking about, extreme views and late-term abortions. Do you mean that you would allow the doctor the right to work with the woman if the woman's life's in danger? Is that what you're... So now are you against that? They made up a left, David, that doesn't exist 
to justify, to justify what? Copping out and not joining a fight against MAGA? I, I, I like what I'm saying. In some ways, I find them as insulting and as infuriating as MAGA. Your thoughts? Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I have nothing but just the deepest contempt for Andrew Yang. Um, I don't know why he's in our lives. The reason that he's in our lives is that the Democratic Party was so afraid of, of angering um, various factions of the party by, by setting any kind of standards for getting into the, the primary debates in 2019 that they said, OK, well, anybody polling, I don't know, one percent, you can be on the stage, you know, and, and in a small poll, you can get to you can get to one percent with like eight people that are like, yeah, Andrew Yang sounds good. Um, and so he's he's a product of an elite failure to exercise any kind of quality control inside the party uh, in, in terms of like, you know, you, you don't want to set the bar so high that um, people can't introduce themselves to the public. Right. But the I don't think that those national primary debates are the are the place to do that. So I blame the Democrats for some of this. Um, and then there's obviously some element of Andrew Yang being bitter that he can't win a Democratic primary. Right. Like if you if you are so convinced in 2022 that America needs a third party of Democrats and Republicans are hopeless, my dude, why were you running to be the Democratic mayor of New York City last year? Why were you running for the Democratic nomination for president two years ago? Right. Like it's obviously just a crock. OK. Um, and so Andrew Yang is this like cynical, uh, just depthless weirdo. Um who, if anything, if anybody was going to be characterized as, as far left, this is the guy that was running on a platform of a universal basic income, right? Which may or may not be a good or a bad idea, Ben. I don't know. I'm not an economist, okay? Um, but, but certainly, universal basic income is, is about as far left as you can get um, in, in terms of economics and the, and the safety net. And now he's out here railing against the far left with Christy Todd Whitman. Revelation of the day for me when I started reading about this was that Christy Todd Whitman is still alive, because I thought she was pretty old when she was the governor of New Jersey. I'm from New Jersey, so she was my governor for, for a while. Um, and, she, you know, as far as Republicans go, I mean, you could do a lot worse. But um, <laughs> I just uh, the, the number of things that they're wrong about is pretty, is pretty staggering here. So, uh, you know, take it one at a time. OK, uh, both parties are, have been captured by their extremist wings. This is insane, right? Like this is an insane thing to claim in, in a context in which the moderate wing of the Democratic Party has been in the driver's seat for the whole last two years, um, and uh, and have got has gotten pretty much everything that they want. Uh, you know, they they stopped the movement for a, a significant expansion of the safety net in its tracks. Um, the Democratic Party leadership is running away from all the protest slogans of the summer of twenty twenty. Uh, we're not defunding any police. We're not abolishing ICE. Um, we're not doing anything particularly radical. And to cherry pick this this one, you know, this one late term abortion thing plays right into the hands of the far right. Okay, nobody wants late term abortions. Ben, I mean, nobody, no, no woman gets to like thirty eight weeks and is like, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> right, like those, uh, and when there are uh, very, uh, when there are abortions very late. Um, in the pregnancy there, they are because there is an emergency, there's a health emergency or there's something so horrible, uh, that would happen to the, um, to the baby if it was born, you know, like some of these conditions where you live for like six hours and you're in agony and then you die. Um, that's the only reason people are getting abortions at that stage in a pregnancy. Okay. And so Andrew Yang 
it's just so colossally stupid um, that he's gonna that he's gonna link his personal reputation and brand up with people that are that are cynically using the invented term of a late term abortion, right? One of the most successful marketing campaigns that I've ever seen is to, to get us all to use this phrase. Um, and uh, it's just uh, he, I, she should be embarrassed. He should be embarrassed by all this stuff. Okay. Um, and I have some things to say, the political scientist in me, okay, about third parties and about this third party in particular, um, that, uh, that are just another set of reasons why I'm really opposed to the forward party. Um, and that is the, the, the electoral system that we use here in this country, single member district plurality makes it very hard for third parties to win. Um, you, you know, you could have a party that has 15% support in every single congressional district in the country. And that party would get zero seats in Congress right? because we do not hand them out proportionally. Um, the, the practical effect of a, of a third party in most of our races uh, would be to act as a spoiler and change the, you know, change the outcome of the race from, from one thing to another. Um, you know, to their credit, they, they support ranked choice voting, right. Which would, which would mitigate this problem in a lot of places. But, um, but the reality is, um, you know, Republicans are just are just salivating at, at the possibility of a former Democratic nominee for the presidency starting his own third party and being able to bankroll it. Right? Like this is a Republican dream come true because there's nothing that you love more in American politics than some than some random uh, small party siphoning votes from your from your uh, from your adversary and allowing you to walk away with the victory. Um, so the other problem with the forward party Okay. is that it is seeking ideological space that is already occupied, right? Um, people that are like, well, the, Dem the, the Dems are too far left on abortion, they're too far left on guns, and the right is too far right on guns. This, uh, that's, there's like 150 people in Congress already that believe all this stuff, and, you know, and most of them are in the Democratic Party, frankly, but you know, there's a handful in the Republican Party, too. Um, and there's, you know, there's, there's uh, the Problem Solvers Congress, uh, Caucus and Congress. Like, these people already exist, Okay. Um, people that think the problem with American politics is that both parties are too far uh, to the extremes. Those people are already in Congress. You're not going to get any more of them in Congress by starting the forward party. And they have no issues, right? Like the history of American third parties is a relentless history of failure <laughs> to get elected. But it is also a relentless story of success where there is an ideological component to it um, and that ideological component has some support among the general public, but no real constituency within the two major parties. Um, they have been able to push those parties left or right um, to adopt their major platform planks. You know, I'm thinking of Ross Perot, uh, all the stuff that he ran for on in 92, you know, term limits and that kind of thing, washed up in the, in the GOP's contract with America. You go back to the New Deal, um, the, the smaller uh, left-wing parties in the U.S. at that time um, – disappeared when FDR took all of their issues and rolled it into the New Deal. Um, and so uh, I, I, I'm not opposed to third parties with a different electoral system, but you have to change that first. And these guys are out, the four parties out there citing polls that say like two thirds of Americans want a third party. And it's like, yeah, man, but may, maybe, but not this one, right? <laughs> not, not a third party that just takes the warmed over uh, beltway consensus that people hate anyway and then repackages it as a, as some sort of bold new direction. You know, it's just, uh, I'm embarrassed for all of them. What a bunch of idiots. All right. Uh, I'm going to ask you to come back to something you said when you were, uh, 
going down that list, that great riffing that you just did. Uh, and it had to do with it's the the Republican Party's dream, I think, something you said like that, because it would siphon votes for the Democrats. I can make an argument that this party would be a nightmare for the Republicans uh, as well. Uh, it, it, knowing Democrats the way I do, uh, I, I think, I don't know a lot of uh, true blue Democrats would fall for this stunt. It would be more attractive to... Uh, some, one of those Rahm Emanuel swing boaters uh, in uh, suburban Wisconsin, you know, that the, the Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrods and Barack Obama have been, like, trying to woo forever, and Bill Clinton, the master of all this, uh, somebody who is sort of in favor of women having the right to choose but hates paying taxes. Uh, I think that's who it – and so that kind of person – maybe a little challenging to vote for a fascist uh, like Donald Trump. So <laughs> this might be like a, a safe alternative and those uh, votes are needed for uh, MAGA to prevail uh, in a lot of states. Like in Illinois, without those votes, Darren Bailey will not be elected governor of Illinois. Uh, so, Or Bruce Rauner would not have been elected governor in 2014 you know, he was a pro-choice Republican, hard to believe. So isn't it possible to make the case that this party, which I doubt will ever come to fruition, but would uh, be as much of a challenge to Republicans as Democrats? Yeah, for sure. Um, I think that we need, you know, we're going to, we would need to see more about what, what exactly their, their platform is. Um, uh, right now I'm looking at their core principles. It's free people, thriving communities and vibrant democracy. So I don't know who's against that. Um, they're going to have to fill out their, just some paint by numbers, you know, just like a, just like a two hour staff meeting. And they just hammered out the entire party party platform. Wait, what was it? Free people. What were the three principles? Free, free people, thriving communities, vibrant democracies. Um, I assume free people means they're against cancel culture or something. I, I mean, I don't know. Um, and they, they have a bunch of stuff here, ranked choice voting, um, which is great, but the, the progressives are already on that. Nonpartisan primary is the stupidest idea uh, you could possibly forward. Of course, they're into it. And then independent redistricting commissions. Like, you don't need a third party to push independent redistricting commissions, right? Like, the Democrats are pushing them all over the country. Like, what are you doing, man? You're just, you're just taking away votes from people that, that, would, that would be on your side. So you're right. It absolutely, they absolutely could, depending on the candidate and where they end up on their platform with the, with the actual hot button issues that people care about. In certain races, they could certainly siphon more money, more, more votes from Republicans. And the idea of running a third party candidate who's like, uh, I'm just against fascism and I'm, I'm for the peaceful transfer of power. Um, I'm relatively conservative on a lot of these other things. And then having the Democratic candidate get out of the way um, in, in maybe some seats or some states where the Democrats could not possibly win. I, that's an intriguing idea to me. Um, there's a guy at the New America Foundation named Lee Drutman who, who floated this as one of the ways to coup proof the 2024 election is for, for Democrats to work strategically with, um, with Republicans who still believe in democracy, get the democratic candidate out of the race and, and get your, and get your voters to back this, um, uh, this moderate, uh, Republican. And maybe one of the ways to get that done is to have a third party to do that, but that's not what these guys are doing, right? They are not working with Democrats to protect democracy. They are working against Democrats to imperil democracy. Uh, because you are exactly right. The stakes of, the, of these next two cycles of elections 
are just so incredibly high. I know we all say that every election, right? The most important election of your life. Um, somebody could put up a, a mashup on a YouTube video of people saying that, probably going back to like 1948, right? But <laughs> um, the, the reality is like democracy is, is, is at stake in the upcoming elections. And, and having a prominent former Democrat headlining a, a third party in, in crucial races, if that's what they intend to do, uh, that scares me. Um, and I, you're right. In some cases, it could occur Republicans. I think a, a political scientist will tell you whatever you think about who drew votes from who. It's not as lopsided as you might think. Um, in other words, people that voted for Gary Johnson in 2016 would not all have voted Republican. You know, um, that's the, he was a Libertarian candidate in 16. Yes, I know. Oh, yeah. People that voted for Ralph yeah. Nader in 2000 might not have all voted for for Al Gore, right? Like some of them might have stayed home. Some of them weirdly might have voted for Bush, right? Like you just don't know. Um, so it's hard to know in advance exactly who this is going to help and hurt. Um, all I know is this is a bad idea. It's a bad project with very little constituency. And, uh, and I really don't like Andrew Yang. That's my thing. But by the way, I, uh, to that point, I just have to add this. Uh, people who voted for Ralph Nader uh, probably wouldn't have voted for Al Gore in 2000. Uh, I, the people who voted for Ralph Nader are uh, lefties. I know lefties. I've been around lefties my whole life. I'm telling you, David Ferris, right now, they weren't going to vote for Al Gore. And so I say this to all my Demi friends who just are still, 22 years later, mad at Ralph Nader. And I go, you have never understood a lefty. You despise lefties. Uh, you just tell you crap on them and tell them to shut up and vote for you. Uh, and so... Why would you think they would vote? A lot of them are really smart and well-read, you know, and they see the the inconsistencies and the hypocrisies of your stands. And your, they're smarter than you are in many instances. Uh, and so you just, they don't share your worldview. You're not going to win them over. <laughs> you got to get more people who aren't lefties to vote for you. And guess what? You're failing at that. So I hear you 100%. Uh, all right, which brings me to um, this debate we've had now. I think this will be the third show we've discussed this. I talk about it all the time. I think I'm mumbling about it in my sleep. Uh, and that is the strategy uh, that Democrats have adopted uh, over the last several months, including right here in Illinois, uh, to participate somehow or other, uh, usually uh, sneakily, uh, in the Republican primaries to help elect extreme MAGA, Maggie MAGA people, Maggie MAGA creatures uh, who, according to their polls, would be easier for the Dems to defeat. So that's why we have Darren Bailey running as the uh, Republican candidate for governor against J.B. Pritzker here in Illinois. Uh, Doug Mastriano is running as the Republican candidate uh, for governor in Pennsylvania. He may be even more maggie a creature than Bailey against a guy named Josh Shapiro. I've, I was frightened by it. I don't like it. I still don't like it. I read your essay uh, that you wrote for Newsweek uh, where you take a deeper dive into it. Uh, try to convince me somehow or other uh, that there is a shred of common sense in Democrats helping fascists come to power. Explain it to me, uh, David Ferris. Well, let me just start out with the downsides of it, right, which I think that we agree on. Um, one, in a state like Illinois in particular, you are helping the worst faction of the Republican Party consolidate its grip on the statewide Republican Party. Um, 
the GOP brand here is still strong enough that Republicans can win a statewide race. And if you if you're constantly working to elevate the the most toxic members of the GOP, one of them's going to win a statewide office at some point. Right? That's almost guaranteed. Just, you can't keep them out of power forever. Um, so there's a significant long term risk here that you're delivering state parties where there is still some uh, element of, of contention over who's going to control the state party and you're delivering it to the, to the worst faction possible. Okay. Then there's the risk that you're just wrong, right. And that these, these guys might win anyway. Okay. Um, so I've seen polling that Pritzker's up 10, you know, seven to 10 points over at Bailey, which is not, I, I would think if you were going to spend $35 million to elevate this dude, uh, you'd be beating him by, by, by more than seven points. Right. So, um, and in Illinois, I don't, the polling is not necessarily bearing out the Democratic Party strategy. If I'm if I'm the Illinois Democrats, um, I would just have enough confidence in in the Pritzker administration and the Democratic lean of the state, um, especially in the wake of the Dobbs decision, that the people of Illinois are simply not going to place the governorship in the hands of a Republican, even if that Republican was Richard Irvin. Um, and so I think that was a mistake. And in some other places, though, um, it does it does seem like it's working. Okay. Um, the, the best example right now is uh, what you just mentioned, the, the race for governor in, in Pennsylvania, where Democrats worked to elevate, uh, very similar to what they did here, um, they, they cut ads for that were ostensibly attack ads on, on um, Doug Mastriano. You know, like, Mastriano believes that the election was stolen, too conservative for Pennsylvania, this kind of stuff, right? Which is, uh, they look like attack ads, right? but they, they are coded to be aimed at Republican primary voters who are now completely radicalized and you're trying to convince them that this is your guy, right? Like if you want to pursue the 2020 election conspiracy, Doug Mastriano is, is your man. You know, if you think that every, you know, that abortion should be banned from the moment of conception, Doug Mastriano is your man. Um, with the hopes that when he gets to the general election, he'll get clobbered because this is not what the people of Pennsylvania actually want. Um, and I've, I've come on the show before and said, I, but I think that that strategy is a little bit too risky for my take, uh, for my taste, uh, given the, um, what Doug Mastriano would actually do in office if he's elected. Um, if he wins, he instantly becomes the key cog in the 2024 plot against democracy. Um, and so the, the case for what they're doing is that it appears to be working, right? Like Shapiro is up over uh, the Josh Shapiro is the Democratic nominee. Not not the most inspiring, in my humble opinion. <laughs> Uh, candidate for governor, and he's up ten points over um, uh, over Mastriano. Um, now that's just one poll, right? But it's a strong poll, and it's one of many data points that from individual statewide races for governor and for senate in different places that suggests pretty strongly that the national political environment has like completely turned around since the Dobbs decision. Okay, um, and that is like the a world in which. Democrats are going to get red waved into oblivion is not compatible with a world in which a, a Republican leaning state like Pennsylvania in a, in a fairly bad national environment for Democrats is going to give the Democrat a 10 point victory. Okay. Um, and so there, there is a case to be made that this maneuvering, um, these dirty tricks that Democrats are playing together with other races where they didn't actually affirmatively intervene in the race to, to elevate the worst person, but that worst person won anyway because of Donald Trump. Um, I'm thinking of Herschel Walker in Georgia, who's the candidate for Senate, um, who, who has a skull full of marbles at this point, right? Like the guy's just, just not with it. 
they, he won't debate Raphael Warnick because they're afraid of putting him in front of a camera. Um, they, they're just terrified that he, he can't he barely say his name. So, um, and Warnock is winning. Now, look, Ben, I wish I lived in a world where, where Raphael Warnock, who's a very nice, confident man, um, I think one of the bright lights of the Democratic Party, a total rising star, I wish that they didn't need him to run against, uh, you know, a reanimated corpse in order to win in a midterm. But that's that's the world that we live in. And if you take, if you give the GOP garbage candidates in Georgia and Pennsylvania, where Dr. Oz is just mired in this losing social media war against the Democratic candidate, John Fetterman, like every single yeah. day, Fetterman yeah. just, <laughs> just owns the guy uh, in, in free media and embarrasses him. There's a new ad out today about all the times that Dr. Oz said that he lives in New Jersey. Yeah, no, near my home, which is in New yeah. Jersey, uh, which it's like, it's, it is weird. I mean, the dude does not live in Pennsylvania. Right. And, um, the accusations of carpetbagging don't, I don't, I think they're all that effective, but, um, in this case, it, it does seem to be working because Oz is such a strange character to begin with. Um, does not have any coherent rationale for why he wants to be a Senator. And it's only there because Donald Trump is obsessed with celebrity. Um, it's the same thing with Walker, Right. He's like, who's already famous? Uh, that guy. Wait, will he run? Good. Do it. Run for, run for Senate. I like you. So anyway, there's a chance that all of these bad candidates collectively could cost Republicans control of the Senate and the House and um, some crucial state governorships. Um, and so the, I guess the case that I would make for it, if I had to make a case, and I'm still I still really hedged my position in the article because I'm really torn about this. Um but the, but the case that I would make would be like, okay, A, you know, Mastriano probably would have won anyway, right? Like, um, it's not like, uh, it's not like these races were close. Okay. Like these guys were, they, they went, they, they won going away. Um, and so, but you know, the democratic interference was not necessarily pivotal, but, um, but that the stakes of this election are so high that it would be the, the gamble that they're taking which is elevate bad candidates for the GOP so that we can we can keep the trifecta uh, and do more work to save democracy and get some things done is worth the risk of, of more MAGA candidates in Congress. And the reason I say maybe it's worth it is that the Republican Party's gone full MAGA anyway. You know, I mean, like, what is the daylight between Doug Mastriano's position on the 2020 election um, and Doug Mastriano's position on abortion? And like, I don't know, pick a random Republican senator uh, um, you know, Marsha Blackburn or Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, the, the the most visible faces in the Republican Party are are already fully captured by this deranged movement. Um, and so, what's two what's two more of them in Congress? Right? Ultimately, who- well, here's the difference. For what it's worth, and it's a sliver of a difference. Uh, and I'll just state it, and then we'll close down this show uh, with this sliver of hope. Uh, I follow closely uh, Darren Bailey's campaign here in Illinois. Uh, and Darren Bailey is attempting to distance himself. I'm not making this up, David. Uh, he has realized that in a blue state, he cannot be 100% MAGA. Right. He can't go full MAGA. So he's trying to distance himself. Here's the sliver between him and Mastriano. Mastriano embraces it. Okay, at the moment he does. Maybe his pollsters will get to him. Right. <laughs> uh, we we've been making fun of Darren. I've been making fun of Darren Bailey for over a week now. I say I call him uh, DB uh, DB Travolta because he's put on his dancing shoes and he's dancing. 
Okay, so when reporters ask him the question about whether the election was stolen, whether the insurrectionists uh, were traitors or patriots, uh, whether we should change election laws across the country to guarantee that no steals happened, which is all based on lies, uh, he says, I'm not even going to answer that question because I live in Illinois and I'm, f- I'm not running for Congress. I'm not running for senator. I'm focused on Illinois issues and Illinois issues are crime. And I'm like, man, what a f- First of all, last I looked, Illinois was in the United States. I don't know. Maybe we got to go back and look at that geography book. But what a, f- what a scaredy cat. You weren't talking that way when Trump came to, to uh, downstate Illinois in late June and you were sucking up to him, kissing the ring to get his endorsement. So you see what I'm saying, Dave? That's the sliver. That's the sliver. And uh, <laughs> he's hoping that'll win over some swing voter. Oh, sounds good to me. Uh, yeah, it's just the character seems fine. Yeah, totally reasonable person. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah. think that's going to work because the, the, the Democrats just have too much oppo research on them. And then yes. Trump's going to want to come into town and be like, yeah, my man Darren Bailey here, right? Like, he's yeah. not going to be able to get away from him. Um, is it so. Did, so? Ken Griffles just picked up his entire company and moved out of Illinois because he was so. Ken bad. Griffin has left the, uh, the the what does they say? Uh, Elvis has left the building. Ken Griffin has left the building. He's moved out of Chicago. I'm sure he's sell. He's put up his properties for sale. Uh, he's now uh, his company is headquartered in Florida, uh, and I, I, I believe he's building a new headquarters there. Uh, he left before the uh, prime. <laughs> he ditched. He he gave up on Richard Irvin before the votes had uh, been counted. He left, I think, announced he was leaving two weeks ago. <laughs> what a oh, band yeah. of miscreants! What a, what a child! Oh, God. Like, what a child! Right? Just you don't get. Yeah, he took his ball. Kind of took his ball. Went home while his teammate was still on the field. Hey, but coach, I'm still playing. <laughs> ah, shut up. <laughs> oh, man. All right, we'll end the conversation there with a little good news, a little disarray in the Republican ranks, uh, and uh, even uh, a MAGA creature like uh, uh, Darren Bailey is trying to figure out how to (laughs) dance his way around his own uh, idiocy. Uh, David Ferris, thank you very much for taking time again to talk to me on my show. Great to be here, as always, Ben. Look forward to next time. That's David Ferris. I'm Ben Jarofsky. Take care, everybody. find cars like these on auto trader like that car riding your tail or if you're tailgating right now all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on auto trader too are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time well multitasking pro cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on auto trader new cars used cars electric cars maybe even flying cars okay no flying cars but as soon as they get invented they'll be on auto trader just you wait auto trader